I've come at last, said he. She's kept me out for a long time, but I've got in at last. Aslan is on the move. The witch's magic is weakening. And Lucy felt running through her that deep shiver of gladness which you only get if you are being solemn and still. And now, said Father Christmas, for your presence. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. Thank you all for joining us today. Just a reminder that we are talking about the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe today, but general spoiler warning for the Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories we enjoy. We'll do our best to give Spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything crazy. But today, we're discussing The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chapter 10, The Spell Begins to Break. Happy Christmas, Chase. Happy Christmas. It's not Christmas while we're recording, but maybe it is while you're listening. And it are definitely you my, is. Are you my father? Uh, maybe. It is Father Christmas. We need to make sure that that's aware uh, because it's British. Uh, but... Chase, I'd like to start us off with a quick summary. Um, We are, after spending last chapter, knowing what happened with Edmund, we are back with the Beavers, where everyone is scrambling to bundle up and set out to escape the witch. Mrs. Weaver takes her time making food for the road. Everyone else grumbles for her to hurry up because they need every moment to get away from the witch. But Mrs. Beaver won't listen and even tries to bring her heavy sewing machine. They set out, crossing the frozen river and passing through a steep valley where the sled could not go. Lucy began to get more and more tired as they trudged on snow and began to fall again and again. And after a while, Mr. Beaver turned and led them up a hill and into a hole in the ground where they could safely rest for a while. Lucy thought about how much nicer Tumnus's cave was, of course. Uh, And then Mrs. Beaver gave them a flask of what we can only assume was some kind of alcohol. And they all pass out. Seems right. Uh, They awoke cold and stiff to the sound of jingling bells. Mr. Beaver quickly left the cage, uh, sorry, hole, uh, to take a look from under the brush. They waited and waited and started to think that he'd be seen. But then a surprise came when Mr. Beaver's voice came calling to them to leave the cave. He said, it was all right. It isn't her, because we all know who her is. Uh, They stumbled out of the cave as Mr. Beaver exclaimed how this was a sign that the witch's power was crumbling. In Narnia, it was always winter, but never Christmas, yet they came out to find Bum, 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 Father Christmas, or as if you're an American listener, you know him, Santa Claus. I've come at last, he said, explaining that the witch tried to keep him out for a long time. But now that the Aslan, uh, now that Aslan is on the move, people can have presents again. Speaking of presents, Santa told the beavers he would go to their house, give Mrs. Beaver a new sewing machine, do Mr. Beaver's handiwork for him because, you know, gender roles. Uh, He then gave Peter a shield and a sword. Sounds legit for a teenager. Susan, a bow and arrows, and an ivory horn to call for help. To Lucy, he gave a bottle full of uh, liquid diamond that would heal and a small dagger. And he told them these were not toys. And then after that, he gives them a tea party because, you know, they're not playing around. Uh, And then wished them Merry Christmas as he rode away. They had their tea and then moved on, continuing their journey and our chapter and and Kel, I don't know that there is a theme to this chapter, but it's the Santa Claus 4. This time it's war. Santa Claus 
I'm sorry. Father Christmas is coming to town. Father Christmas is coming to town. Yeah. Do you, do you have any thematic points for this chapter that you think come up? Because I couldn't pick out anything that felt like this chapter was doing. Uh, let's go ahead and just go with uh, spins wheel. Uh, <laughs> ask again later. Uh, like this is it's a weird chapter. Um, you know, if anything, it's like, hey, maybe that you could defy the theme as like the you know the the spark of hope. Uh, because yeah, you know, I could see that Christmas it's, is coming uh, in the midst of winter. Yeah, the, the beat that he's hitting in the the meta storyline here is what you just said. It's the like, hey, the the evil isn't as strong as you think it is. Yeah. Um, but Santa Claus or Father Christmas, sorry. It's it's a weird choice, and we're gonna get to him in a little bit, yeah. but we've got a few pages. Uh, yeah, first we, uh, can man. we talk about the sexism in this chapter for a minute? Bro. It's all the way through. The Beavers, uh, last time we saw them, uh, you know, Mr. Beaver was real racist. Mrs. Beaver is now going to epitomize a stereotypical sexist trope. Yeah, she she is every 50s woman trope rolled into one. It's uh, But she's a beaver. But but a beaver. Like which I mean, her name is Mrs. So what what can you do? First name Mrs. Last name Beaver. Like this is this is the beginning of an awesome Drake rap, I'm sure. Oh my god. But yeah, she's you know, this is this is a stereotypical woman getting ready to leave. This is like like, oh, gotta, you know, yeah, make sure everyone yeah. I'll hit the beats here. She takes too long to get ready to leave. Yep. She compulsively has to pack people meals. Yep. She wants to bring her sewing machine with her because she just loves it so much. Yep. It's, oh my gosh. And like, they've got at least another quarter hour. This is, this is C.S. Lewis being like, oh, these, these pesky women always taking so long to get ready and to leave. Yeah, this is uh, C.S. Lewis's bad stand-up routine. Have you ever noticed how women take a long time to get ready? C.S. Lewis's type five includes way too much sexism and way too much racism. Hey, have you ever noticed how dwarves are real people? Listen, I've known some friendly dwarves. I've got a friend who's a dwarf. Oh, but, my gosh. <laughs> but all this to say, uh, the children and Mr. Beaver are all trying really hard to get Mrs. Beaver to hurry up. Uh, don't we want to reach the stone table before the white witch? Cause she does. She probably knows about it. And Mrs. Beaver is like, Oh, we're not going to do that. There's no way. Like there's, there's no way. So I might as well bring got, my sewing machine. Yeah, She's got a sleigh. She's pulled by a reindeer. We're walking through snow. What do you want from me? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which is a great point. But it's also like, what are we even doing then? How encouraging. And then she's like, man, okay. My theory again, it rises up. She's like, we have other ways to go there and get there undercover that no one knows about. They, first of all, like the queen literally is employing a secret police of wolves. Yeah. Are you telling me they can't smell you out? Yeah. Boo, bogus. True, true. Which like, this is a little later in the chapter, but I, th- I think you're right. The secret hideout thing, like what kind of people are out here needing Smugglers. to harbor fugitives? 
fugitives. Like this is kidnappers. Um, it, it feels feels a lot more in line with your theory. Each chapter, every chat. I'm convinced, man. I don't think you can read this any other way than that. The beavers are turncoats. That <laughs> yes. they are former smugglers. It, it's or, the only option. It's the only option because how else would she know about these secret ways? Uh, you know, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But as they're leaving, thank goodness, uh, Mr. Beaver locks the door. <laughs> goes C.S. Lewis goes out of his way to say, Mr. Beaver, lock the door. That but don't worry, set- that won't be a problem for Father Christmas. <laughs> well, but it will for, for the White Witch, at least for a few moments. Uh, you know, that'll save us some time. It'll delay her a bit, says Mr. Beaver. Will it? She'll just <laughs> she be can- out there. Hello, White Witch here. I mean, uh, Queen. <laughs> like, it's it. Whatever. It's funny. What a book. <laughs> what a book. Uh, but as we mentioned last chapter, uh, so, as we saw the Lord of the Rings uh, portion of Edmund's journey, we now enter the Lord of the Rings portion of the Pevin, the rest of the Pevensey children and the Beavers, because you're going to get a lot of narrative description of yeah. places in Narnia that don't matter. Yeah, lots of scenery that the book even specifically says, man, if you just had an armchair and a window, you'd love to look at it. And it's just like, but why do we need to know that right like, now as we're trying to escape the evil despot? Like, this ain't Care Paravel. This ain't where they're going to have a battle. Yeah, this isn't uh, the stone table. This isn't the stone table. This is uh, a random path. In the movie, at least, there's kind of like some suspense because they're like crossing the river and the wolves are there. And Edmund yeah. has, or Peter this has is a lot closer in the movie. This is, it's, it's, it's real tight. And there's like Peter and Mogram first kind of fight uh, in the movie. None of that happens. Any nope. suspense and drama that you were hoping for? Nope. They're nope. just like, we should Turn, cross the river. Turns out they don't have to go across the icy river and it breaks up and they get wet. Like that's, all of that is not in this movie. In Which this book. I think the movie actually did a great job of portraying this because you start right. seeing it's the a lot magic. more suspenseful, right? Like, because it communicates the point of this chapter way better than this chapter does, right? Because the river is melting for the first time in hundreds of years, and you're like, wait, what? It's because Christmas or like winter is starting to end, and Which now also you're just, Christmas is not at the end of winter, but what is arguably the very beginning because yeah. w- winter, as defined by the solstices and uh, the you know times and seasons we have is roughly December twenty first. Yeah, four days later is Christmas. Spring technically doesn't start until March twenty first. Obviously, if you live in you know a southern state, spring starts you know in a normal year around December twenty sixth. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, when when this comes out, spring will start tomorrow. Yeah, uh, it's gonna happen. Um, but we, so none of that happens. They're just wandering their way through. And instead of, instead of getting, Lucy almost passes out from walking herself. Because, because Mrs. Beaver made them pack so much that it's so heavy on poor little Lucy, who, as we've mentioned, it's probably like seven or eight. Yeah. Maybe. And also. Why has she got a full pack? Why does she got a full pack? But also, why do we need to know this? Like, why is this part? This is like a solid two pages in the story. Is Lucy kind of going in and out? Oh, I think I'm gonna. Oh, oh, we're still walking. Chase, oh, we because there's going. there's two ways to build suspense and tension 
One, you could have the river melt and have them be chased by wolves. Too easy. Everyone expects that. <laughs> Two, you have a seven-year-old needing to take a nap. Yep. Tell, talk about tension, suspense, drama. <laughs> and and look, I'll, I'll tell you, like, this is what happens in the story. But I, I know you're on the run from an evil dictator that wants to murder you. But could someone take care of this little girl that's dragging behind everyone else? Like, if, if you're a parent and you're going maybe on a hike through the woods with your family or even walking through the mall, if your child is lagging 10 feet behind you and you're not paying attention to them or, like, if your child is, like, kind of – like, that's a that's not a safe situation. Like, someone needs to, like, maybe have her hand or, like, help her along or take her pack because she's a child. Yeah, you you can see when someone is struggling on a hike. It would not be great if Lucy passed out and say died in a snowdrift. It'd be a bummer. That's not the ending we want for this movie. It might be a realistic one though. Yeah, it it almost happens, but, but luckily, Kel, they find a hole. <laughs> it's it's definitely there, and so we mentioned this earlier. This is what Mr. Beaver refers to as an old hiding place for beavers in bad times, and it's a great secret. Do you mean a smuggler's den, you dirty yes. turncoat beaver? Yes. Like, that's, you know, why would beavers be in bad times? Well, they're running from the law, or they're, you know, they're they're doing something that's kind of sketchy. Like, be there's yeah. no great beaver persecution in Narnia that I'm aware of. I mean, they are the only two beavers left. So. Maybe. There might be. We don't necessarily know that, but I mean, they're the only ones we see. Yeah. I mean, the queen knows who they are by name. Maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, you know, the reason that Mr. Beaver hates dwarves so much is because the queen enlisted all these dwarves to murder all of his family members. We don't know. I mean, look, beavers are a nuisance. But yeah. Yeah. He's just out here acting like he's harbored fugitives before. It's, I, I don't, I don't even know what to do with it. I, I do think it contributes to your theory about them working for the white witch. It all clicks so together. It clicks, man. Uh, but, you know, we, we bring ourselves back to this cave and thank goodness Lucy's here to remind us that it's not nearly as nice of a cave as Mr. Tumnus's. Yeah. Get off that, Lucy. Like, golly, oh broken God. record. Which, but at least, Kel. At least Miss Beaver is here to give them shots from her flask. Yo, I read this and was like, like she just uh, casually passes around some mysterious alcohol to a bunch of miners. Yeah. And they pass out after, you know, coughing and uh, it stings yeah, their throat. I'll, I'll they read pass this description out. real quick. Then Mrs. Beaver handed round in the dark a little flask out of which everyone drank something. It made one cough and splutter a little and stung the throat, but it also made you feel deliciously warm after you'd swallowed it, and everyone went straight to sleep. This is obviously alcohol. It's, there's, there's no question. Tell the me, beavers just gave these children alcohol? What's happening? Tell me that the beavers are not the bad guys. Jeez. Tell <laughs> Why me. are we drugging children now? Like, what? And like, this is again... Like, as we mentioned, C.S. Lewis is going out of his way to remind us as readers that we are being told a story. And you know who the like the main recipient of this story is? Kids. Children. We, 
Do you know what this description makes alcohol sound like? Something that's kind of appealing. Like yeah. for a minor. Or it's like, yeah, it makes you cough a little bit. But it also makes you feel deliciously warm. and Yeah, deliciously. And then you get to go to sleep. Yeah, it's it's wild. And, I mean, look, again, written in the 50s, I understand, like, it's not an old wives' tale. It, it's, like, common medicine option of, man, I just got to get this kid to sleep. Like, But also, not <laughs> a good thing to, to do. Get them hammered. <laughs> like, not not the right decision. Like, parents, please don't do this. But also... Lucy was tired enough to go to sleep anyways. We spent multiple pages like laboriously describing how Lucy was so tired she almost passed out. Why do we also and need to give the kids alcohol? Like why not just say and they were so tired from escaping that they quickly fell into a dreamless sleep. Like but also shout out to Miss Beaver for carrying a flask cuz why not? Hey, if I'm surprised it wasn't Mr. Beaver but yeah, you know what? Well, hey, out of way to out of way to break stereotypes here, Mrs. Beaver. Yeah, Mr. Beaver's more of a beer guy. Mrs. Beaver, she goes she for needs, the hard she, stuff. She needs the hard stuff to deal with Mr. Beaver's uh, antics. Yeah, uh, but they go to sleep, and I'm, I just want to mention this real quick. Blaze past it. it. Says Lucy wakes up to a set of long whiskers tickling her cheek, and I'm just gonna say it. Mm. Say that it's sketchy. And move on. I have a lot of comments I could make, but I'm going to leave it at red flag. Yeah, yeah, red flag. Let's just leave it there. Yep. Um, but when they do wake up, Kel, they wake up to bells. Is that Man. the witch? Does she no. have bells on her sled? Because Does she specifically say not to? Thank goodness we as the reader just remembered and heard that the witch doesn't have her sleigh with bells on it this time. Yeah, it's uh, almost like she went out of her way to tell us that. Like, this is the point where I read this and, like, you just took out all suspense for me as the reader. As, like, there's no drama, there's no tension here, because I already know that the witch didn't bring her sleigh with bells. But also, very Will Ferrell voice, Santa! Santa! Uh, I know him. I, I know him. This is not Santa, though, Chase. This oh, is uh, my bad. My bad. This is Father Christmas, and I like to imagine that this is like the the cool Santa uh, that Michael Scott plays in the office, yes. Yes. where Daddy, he's, he's Daddy Christmas. <laughs> no, I, I did not like that. <laughs> Coming out in theaters this this Shut, July, shutting that down, uh, <laughs> man. Uh, <laughs> but Mr. Beaver hears these jingle bells. And again, the characters don't know. The reader knows. The characters don't know that this isn't the witch. And Mister Beaver just bolts out of the you know smuggler's den to go check this out. It's It's almost as though he was working for the witch the whole time. And he was disappointed to find that it was Father Christmas, and he couldn't sell these children out to the queen. All right, guys, it isn't her. (laughs) We we every apparently is bad grammar, but yeah, so. For the reader who, if you or listener, if you have not read this along with us, he goes, "It's all right. Come out, Mrs. Beaver. Come out, sons and daughters of Adam. Uh, it's all right. It isn't her. This was bad grammar, of course, but that is how beavers talk when they are excited. I mean, in Narnia, in our world, they usually don't talk. Is C.S. Lewis turning into Deadpool? Like, <laughs> this is really weird and out of place. 
And like, yeah. Deadpool has better writers. Like, here's the thing. This is, technically you shouldn't leave like, you know, pronouns to, to things that you're not referencing inside of that moment. But also like, at this point, the kids know who her is. Yeah, also it's capitalized in a way right. where you know who her is. Well, the reader does. Uh, the kids, I don't think, can interpret between her and her uh, capitalized. Uh, but There's only so many people they're aware of in this country. And and only one of them is a woman. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, she's but, the only other woman. There are no women on the internet or in Narnia. Correct. Um, uh, but, but, like, there are previous moments where he used much worse grammar in terms of like referring like using her as a pronoun without them knowing who he's talking about this time at least they are previously aware so it's like why not mention this earlier deadpool lewis like yeah yeah whatever oh no kel how do you feel about father christmas being a character in this story um it's weird man i i gotta be real like it it brings up a lot of questions and it doesn't feel necessary yeah. to do so. Where again, CSO is like it's it's a children's story. And so of course you and I are gonna, you know, find some picks to knit. Uh but it's and, and it's written for children. So it's like we gotta put ourselves in the place of children and kids would look at this and go, Oh, it's Santa, that's cool. Oh my gosh, I know him. I know him. They're aware of his story. So it's like, okay, whatever, that's that's fine. But then when you start looking at the world building and mythology and everything of Narnia, so Father Christmas, they are aware of who this is, the children are, because Father Christmas exists in Earth mythology. Yeah. And he apparently also exists in Narnian mythology. How does like it, it just brings up a lot of questions. Like Yeah. So cuz also is, like this is some, so the whole thing is right like in Narnia it's always winter but never Christmas. This means it's finally Christmas cuz yeah. Santa's there or Father Christmas is there. But also Santa isn't what makes it Christmas in our world. Like that's Correct. not like that's an add-on. Like Christmas, Christmas, like Christ. More, more Christ. Was Jesus born in Narnia too? Like how how can they have Christmas? This is a specific holiday on the Christian calendar that was added in medieval times to replace the pagan winter festivals with something Christian. And so that history is tied up in the title Christmas. Yeah. So yet somehow that translates across the multiverse into Narnia. It, is it Aslan's birthday? Like help help me out. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I personally don't like it. I think it's clunky and weird. I don't think this is the way that they need to get their weapons and level up, which is kind of part of what's happening here. Is that the witch's spell is breaking and they're right. leveling up? They're getting their like their Mario right. mushroom. Like I'm gonna talk about this a little bit later in my in my further up and further in, but you know this is a, an integral part of the hero's journey. If you're aware of what that is, but it it just it just raises a lot of questions. Like if you like one looking at mythology from our world and you know crossing over to Narnia, that already makes things weird. But then it raises up a lot of questions about how things like happen in Narnia because it says, uh, like, like they say, this is a nasty knock for the witch. It, it looks as if her power is crumbling, 
Santa will, or sorry, Father Christmas will later say like, oh, she, you know, tried to keep me out. Uh, but uh, it looks like because Aslan's coming, I can finally get back in. Like, is this WandaVision? Like, you know, spoil, spoiler alert if you have not seen WandaVision, but like, is there a giant bubble around Narnia that um, like. It's the hex, Kel. That, sure. It is is there something preventing Father Christmas? Like he's flying with his reindeer and like like bouncing off of this reflective force field. Like how is she preventing Christmas? Maybe, maybe she froze over the pool in the wood between the worlds where he couldn't get through it when he was popping around to get, uh, get maybe. presents to everyone. Maybe. Uh, but like, yeah, like how it, it, it brings up this question and it doesn't answer it and it won't. Like, like, how exactly is she preventing Christmas and this physical person, Father Christmas, from entering Narnia? Like, how is she accomplishing that? Yeah, uh, and it it really it's also integrated with this idea that like somehow Father Christmas is the horseman of Christmas. Like, <laughs> he's, he's the harbinger of of the Christmas holiday not not the other way around. like it's only christmas if it, if he shows up I, yeah. I don't know like cuz the whole time thing in narnia like christmas is a day it's not it's not like yeah. an idea in that sense like it's not like if time keeps moving in narnia if days keep passing even if a year passes it's still going to be christmas on the specific day unless Christmas doesn't work that way in Narnia, but that also never made sense. I don't know. It's weird, but you know what else, you know what else is weird? Problematic Santa. Uh, Let's call, let's call it what it is. This is sexist Santa. Oh yeah. 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 I'm with you now. I'm with you now. 100%. uh, Cause he's like, all right. And now for the presents, because what does father Christmas do? What does Santa do? He gives presents. Seems part like to, to skip past the weirdness. This is, you know, on par. Uh, for what Santa does, he gives presents. But apparently, Santa gives very gender-specific, uh, you know, gifts, and yep. with very stereotypical sexist reasoning. Uh, oh, he's yeah. like, "Mrs. Beaver, for you, a new sewing machine." Uh, oh Mr. my Beaver, gosh! Wow, exactly what I wanted. Mr. Beaver, for you, I'm gonna go finish your housework. All the all the the you know handiwork around the home that you wanted to do, like finishing the dam. I'll go do that for you. Yeah. Like, yeah, because, because that's what the man has to mow the lawn and the woman's got to sew the clothes. Right. Am I right? <laughs> and if you're a beaver, you know, apparently like you wear clothes, who knew? Yeah. Uh, apparently. apparently. Yeah, what are they? So, oh, yeah, it's, which also, this is your first and only Christmas present in a century. And it's a sewing machine, which you already have one, which you already have. One that you like so much that you wanted to take it with you when you left your house. It's, uh, yeah, this is ridiculous. And then, like, you know, it, it makes sense that Father Christmas fits in so well with the beavers because they're like, oh, no, our house is locked. And he's like, don't worry. Locks and bolts aren't a problem for me. They aren't a problem for the beavers or Mr. Tumnus either. Uh, you know, nothing to stop us from smuggling and kidnapping children. I, I uh, guess not. Uh, you know, makes sense why this guy would fit in with this crew and then he's like all right now to the children to the teenagers at best children at worst for the teenage boy a freaking sword and shield 
to go fight some people in literal warfare. Cal, Have this, you 13-year-old. If we've learned anything in the last 20 years, it's that it's always a good idea to give teenagers weapons. I don't agree. <laughs> you you say this, and I just think that's wrong. I'm a student pastor, and I work with this group at best. Like, like, like at oldest, this, like we've decided, we probably think that, you know, Peter is like 13 to 15. Yeah, yeah. I, would I, not, I feel like 14 is a good good sure. spot for him. I'm that's an eighth grader. Yeah. Uh, I you, would you don't never trust eighth graders with swords? No. And I'm not trained. I, I don't them. trust eighth graders with a pool noodle. Like let alone I, a, I an had, actual middle school. I had I had a middle schooler find a knife, uh like a little pocket knife. Uh and he gave it to me. You know, he's like, Hey, I found this. Uh, and I said, Thanks, bro. Uh and he's like, Can I have it back? And I go, No. Because I'm not giving a middle schooler a knife. Like, I, and even the, the blade is like an inch and a half long where it's like, yeah. no. It's still, still a bad idea. Yeah. I ain't doing this. Like, 100% no. I'm not, I'm for sure not giving a middle schooler a sword and going like, all right, now you're going to have to go fight for Narnia and die potentially for Narnia. Uh, you know, have fun. Uh, we, and then we, he's we like. love to send young men to war. Boy, do we. And then he's like, ah, for the girls. Here are some weapons, a bow and arrow that doesn't miss. And which, they, which I is don't incredible. have that much of a problem with the bow and arrow. No. I mean, I still think it's an unwise decision. Sure. But, but then he's like, you're, you're he's less like, likely to like trip and hurt someone with a bow and arrow. Sure. But the horn is made out of ivory. Uh huh. In a world full uh-huh. of magical talking beasts where uh-huh. harming animals is akin to harming humans. Incorrect. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So that means a beast with ivory tusks had to this is either give us this horn. This is either the talking rhino or the talking elephant that we you know met in yep. uh, Magician's Nephew. And but the, these gifts. So he gives a bow and arrow that doesn't miss and a horn to call for help for uh, Susan. And then he gives a dagger for defense and a, a vial of liquid uh, diamond uh, that's a potion to heal the most egregious of injury. He's, he's like, all right, girls, here. Take these weapons that are really useful. You know, granted, I don't want teenagers and children to be in a battle. But skipping aside that, it's going to happen. Here's these weapons. But I'd rather you not use these because, you know, it gets, you know, battles get real ugly when women are involved. Yes, because, you know, battles aren't ugly when anyone else is involved. Only when women are involved is a battle ugly. It doesn't matter if men die. It only matters if a girl gets hurt. Which, like, and I don't I also, want girls to get hurt either, but also, like, have you seen Hunger Games? Sure. And so he's like, instead of using these weapons that I'm giving you to fight, uh, what I'd rather you do, Susan, here's a horn to call a big, strong man to come and help you uh, and when you're in a time of danger. Uh, and then, you know, Lucy, here's some potion to heal any of those those big, strong men who get hurt on the battlefield. Uh, it's like, oh, yep, yep. <laughs> this is this is a rough one. Which, yeah, I, I'll just leave that one there. It's uh, also dagger. Still not a good idea to give to a seven year old, but whatever. Nope. None of these are smart. None of these I, are good decisions. What What is a good idea to give to a seven year old? Tea party. So I love this because this switch to make, places. <laughs> I like 
I thought it was great uh, that to make sure that we know that this is British Father Christmas and not, you know, stupid, fat American Santa. Uh, or, not, like, or not the Supreme Daddy uh, Christmas. It's <laughs> not, not Daddy Christmas. He's going, you know what? Let's have a tea party. And he pulls out like a fully steamed, like hot, like kettle of tea uh, and like a bunch of like little snacks for everyone. Incredible stuff here from Father Christmas. Uh, and they all, you know, have a great time. And he yells, Merry Christmas. Long live the true king. And then he is off. He he rides away into the snowy night, and that's all that happens in this chapter. Yeah, Uh, like the chapter happening. The chapter ends with Mrs. Beaver, you know, scolding Peter and Mr. Beaver for being more concerned with the freaking sword that Santa just gave him than a pot of tea, which I think that's fair. Uh, And she goes, "Oh, just like men." Oh, yes, just like men. But also, if it's Christmas, you always want to play with your toys before you get to whatever tea party or meal or whatever. Like, I'm not going to put down the new, like, drone that I got just because there's some tea on the kettle. 100%. And then they just, they're like, all right, time to go. Like, let's keep moving. Like, to bring up your question that you asked earlier, like, is this necessary? One, we've acknowledged we don't think these are wise gifts to give children, literal children. However, this is a fantasy story. This is a kid's story. You're going to have to do some stuff like this. We'll we'll stop nitpicking on that. But I think this holds a lot more weight and value. And I think this scene becomes sweeter and you experience the magic of, you know, winter ending, winter ending better and like the magic of the queen breaking, if this is Aslan who yeah. gives them these gifts, it's yeah, also it more personal. It so much sense for Aslan to be the one that arms them because they don't know they're part of Aslan's army until they meet him. Sure. It, it really is odd that we're just kind of shoehorning in Santa to this and then just like treating it like, because I do think it is a good plot point, like a beautiful thing to have like the symbolism of the witch's magic breaking. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Like I think let the the river start to thaw like in the movie. Like I think that sort of thing is a really cool thing symbolically. But yeah, I think the way that this is done in the story is just odd. It's yeah. weird. It's strange. It's a weird it's a weird call, weird decision. It brings up a lot of questions. But it's time to move to be moving on, Chase. Uh, so. would you like would you like to dive further up and further in for us? I would. Yeah, I'll go first because yours is, yours looks better than mine. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to talk for a moment about uh, some of C.S. Lewis's cross-literary world building. Like, as we've talked about at length, this story has Santa in it. Uh, Father Christmas, rather. And regardless of my opinions on, on that, uh, it contributes to something we've talked about in the previous book is, in this series as well. Uh, we joked a lot about the multiverse in Magician's Nephew because it kind of fits into what C.S. Lewis is doing with his stories. But Lewis writes his books as though all the stories of old, all the myths and legends are at their core in some ways true. And even if we only have a glimpse of that truth, and therefore they all 
can fit together in, in some way. And so this fits into a big part of C.S. Lewis's personal life story. When he became a Christian, it's because his friend J.R.R. Tolkien helped him to see that the good in all the stories and myths that Lewis loved are all reflected a bigger story, a bigger, truer story of, of Jesus. And that the Christian story is what he called the true myth that his heart was longing to believe when he read and delighted in those tales. So Lewis, in turn, weaves so many cross-literary references throughout the story. We've got Santa Claus. We've got scenes from the journeys of Odysseus in, in later books. Like he, he literally wrote a book that was just retelling the Greek myth of Cupid and Psyche. It's really good. Till We Have Faces. Check it out. It's one of my favorite books. Lewis just loves making other stories part of his stories because he wants his readers to see that the deeper truth behind all those stories is a consistent thread through all of them, not just something that came from one author's pen. Absolutely. I think that's great. Uh, my Further Up and Further In uh, deals with the hero's journey. Specifically, uh, if you uh, are aware of what the hero's journey is, uh, it is the archetypal, uh, you know, all of the different big moments that happen in a hero's story of any fictional story. There are specific moments that you can kind of categorize will happen, right? There's the call to adventure. There's, uh, you know, the, you know, the rising tension factor where so, like the, the plot, you know, is started, the, the conflict enters in that sends your hero uh, into battle. There's, and there's this whole arc of what happens and there is a portion and it's a really important portion that you find in just about every fictional story. Uh, and specifically in, you know, most fantasy stories is the, the, co the concept of supernatural aid. And this is where uh, someone or something enters into the scene who, uh, will, uh, you know, guide and aid the hero or the heroes on their quest or journey. And in most circumstances, they're going to uh, grant them some sort of magical or powerful object that will allow them to win, that will, you know, give them strength, that will allow them to accomplish the things uh, in their journey. If you're in Harry Potter, think the cloak of invisibility, you know, uh, and there's a lot of things, but, you know, First book, Harry's at Christmas, no less, uh, is given a mysterious package from what will turn out to be Dumbledore. Uh, it is the cloak of invisibility from his father, uh, and he will that will allow him to cause all kind of hijinks and mischief as he's you know throughout school. But it will also allow him to uh, you know stealthily uh, go through all of his journeys uh, and especially the big moments. The, the invisibility cloak introduced in book one is spoiler alert. If you have never seen Harry Potter or read the books, that is what he's going to use to stealthily make his way through the forbidden forest to approach Voldemort uh, for what he believes will be his last stand where he will die, uh, like willingly give up his life to Voldemort. He uses the invisibility cloak to do so, right? Uh, think through, uh, Limbus bread or Sting, if you've read Lord of the Rings uh, or seen the movies. Uh, you know, the hobbits make their way to Rivendell. Uh, they've, you know, made their way 
out of the Shire, uh, you know, survived this, you know, first leg of the journey and they make their way into Rivendell and they're given some magical elf bread uh, that will allow them to not necessarily eat as much on their journey. And, uh, you know, as a reader, you're like, okay, cool. This, you know, explains away the fact that they're not like actively hunting and searching for food. But then Frodo is given Sting, which is uh, his uncle's old sword, but is also a old elvish dagger that, you know, because he's a hobbit, is long enough to be a sword that will allow him to know when danger is near. It glows. Uh, and that's what he is going to use throughout his journey, especially as he's making his way into Mordor, uh, fighting uh, the giant uh, spider Shelob uh, as they are killing orcs. Uh, and it's going to continually come up. Think through Anakin's lightsaber in the Star Wars movies. Uh, this is going to be passed down from, of course, Anakin in the prequels to the first Star Wars movie that ever came out, New Hope. Um, it is going to be given to his son, Luke, by Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, and that lightsaber, though it will be lost and you know, change hands a few times, it will make its way to Rey in the sequel series. Uh, and regardless of how you feel about any of those movies, the fact is that this lightsaber is imbued uh, with some sort of a significance, right? It's going to pass hands between uh, mentors to the person that they're teaching and helping grow. And it's going to help all of these people on their journeys to accomplishing whatever they're doing. The supernatural aid, and just as we see this in the, this book, Peter is going to get the sword and shield that he's going to use to win a battle. Uh you know, Susan will use her bow and arrow and especially the horn um, that she is given is not just going to be used by her. It's also going to be used by Caspian to call the Pevensies back into Narnia. The uh, dagger Lucy uses will be effective and also her healing potion will be vital uh, in their upcoming moments. Right. All of these things are given uh, to assist the kids in their journey. If only it was given by someone who is, you know, uh, a little bit more of a mentor than Santa, someone like Aslan, perhaps. But that's a different story. Santa's a great mentor. And Kel, I got you this sword. You can't use it right now because the tea's getting cold. But yeah. you got it. Uh, you want to tell us where people can find us, follow us? Absolutely. Follow us? Before before our tea gets too cold uh, and before you know we resort to using all of these crazy gifts that Santa's given us, uh, you can follow us uh, on Instagram at the Chronicles of Podcast. Keep up to date with the episodes we are posting. And you can find all of our podcasts wherever you find podcasts, Spotify, Audible, Apple Podcasts, the like, um, especially on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it would be great if you can like rate interview us uh, five stars leave us a rating it really helps other people find us and search for us when they are searching for uh, satirical commentaries on the chronicles of narnia if they so do uh you know apparently it's a thing in greece and so uh we'll take it but make sure you find us wherever you you can uh interact with us we love hearing from y'all uh you know let us know if there's anything you like anything you don't like and we'd be try to you know keep that up in future podcasts but until that time comes we've got to be moving on chase it's time to get uh, back on the road i mean lack thereof but i just drank from this flask and i'm getting tired now now, nah, well, let's take a nap quick, and then we'll see you next podcast. See you next time. The, these, uh, you know, pretty, pretty unimportant chapters. Yeah, which I mean, 
I think the, Ed, the Edmund are, chapter was important enough, but the, yeah, the, the Santa chapter could have those, been a page. I think you could have made both of these one chapter yeah. where you have the first part is Edmund getting to the witch's house and betraying everyone. And the second part is the kids escaping to the stone table, meeting Aslan, and that's like that's the beginning. Yeah, or like, it could have like, been a cliffhanger on meeting Aslan, and then the next chapter is Aslan gives him the presence, and yeah. then you know gives his his spiel. Yeah, man, C.S. Lewis needs an editor. <laughs>